And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. This is Thursday, March 11th. Derek Van Riper here today with a great guest, Clay Link. He's the senior baseball editor at Rotowire, the 2018 TGFBI overall winner. That was year one of TGFBI. Uh, he's the host of the Rotowire Prospect Pod with James Anderson, a regular host on Rotowire Sirius XM shows, and an all around good guy, one of my best friends in this industry, someone I've worked with for several years. Clay, how's it going for you? Oh, great, Derek. Thank you for the kind intro and for having me on the show. I owe so much to you, man. Uh, you're a great guy, and you really uh, believed in me in this industry before, before anybody else. So you gave me most of my early breaks, and you know I have so many fond memories of working with you. So it's great to be, uh, you know, we did so much media over at Rotowire. It's great to be doing this once again. Yeah, it's so strange that for for 13 years I worked at Rotowire. People listening to the show might know that by now, but uh, for most of that time, at least half of that time, you know, we were doing podcasts, we were doing radio shows. You and I hosted shows together. Zola and I hosted shows together. Jeff Erickson, Chris Liss, and for as often as I talked to all of you guys and spent time with everybody for the last six or seven years before coming to the Athletic, it's been strange how little we've been able to connect. And, and obviously, the pandemic, you know, took away some of the the industry events that we normally get together at. So that's probably made that seem even more bizarre. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun catching up with you. And you know, I had a chance to sit in on the AL Labor auction thanks to uh, First Pitch Florida Online. They did a, a live stream on on Zoom. Uh, Mike Gianell and I from Baseball Prospectus were just watching and kind of analyzing some of the different things that were happening. You were in that auction. Been in that auction for a few years now, and mm-hmm. uh, I want us to just kind of talk to you about a few players you went after, and, and some things that kind of happened in that particular room. And we'll get to some broader topics here as well. Uh, you built around Vlad Jr. in that auction, twenty nine bucks as your most expensive hitter. You did pay up for Lucas Giolito on the pitching side, uh, but do you think Vlad is generally underpriced in most drafts right now? And where are you setting your expectations for him in year three? Well, I've been. Uh infatuated with Vladdy Jr. for many years now. <laughs> it is getting a little obnoxious that I guess I think I, this is the third straight year in labor that I've had him and people in chat were saying, you know, if, if you're in a league with Clay, you're just not getting him. But it's like I saw with my own two eyes in Arizona, I think he was 18 at the time, 117 off the bat. And I, I was just, I was convinced this guy was an elite baseball talent at that age and what he did at double a um it is a bet on the come and a bet on potential more so obviously than than track record and the ground balls do worry me a little bit with Vlad but you look at the bat and the bat x and I really think Derek Cardi's projection system is the best out there and um this is kind of you know you talk about a median projection yeah there's some wiggle room with the playing time the bad X, 295, 366, 519, 30, 
Yeah, 90 runs, 93 RBI, a couple steals mixed in. Um, if that's the median projection, think about what we could look like if, we, if you go on the, the uh, favorable side of variance there with Vladdy Jr. It could be really nice. And I felt like this is the one time, well, in, before the breakout where you can really get him, especially in the league-only format, as a reasonably priced building block. So I felt get batting average locked in, get some power and, uh, you know, probably have a, a cap there to not go beyond $30 on one individual offensive player. So, uh, it's a, again, it's a bet on, on what's to come, but I, I think it's going to be this year. And if not, maybe I will give up on Vlad and back <laughs> off. But I, uh, I think this is the year that it's going to happen. And we'll be talking about it. I feel like in the future, like 15 years down the road, we're going to look back and say, oh, yeah, he had that one first year, and then there was that the COVID season, and then we get into, like, this Hall of Fame bulk, you know, on his baseball reference page where you just see line after line of, of awesome first-round-worthy stats. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I get people are probably, you know, thinking I'm getting carried away, still carried away with Vlad, and maybe that is the case, but I think – uh, I want him in the the late fourth, early fifth, if possible, in a mixed league. And I, I think he's, uh, even though he hasn't shown it yet, a nice foundational piece in, a, in an only league. Yeah, I, I think so, because there's no real playing time risk. And at the very least, the floor is very stable. If, if you paid 29 and you get $22 worth of value, that's not going to break you, even in a deep league like this. Like it's mm-hmm. It's disappointing, but there's also a chance that you get a $40 player. I think Vlad Jr. as a hitter reminds me a lot of young Miguel Cabrera. And I think if you imagine 15 years into the future, holy crap, 2036 definitely sounds like a made-up year. I think a couple things will be true. I think Vlad Jr., there's a good chance he's still playing professionally. He's that kind of player. And I think we will look back and say, hey, that arc was really good. He'll probably be a Matt clear like deep decline phase sort of dh only the way that miggy and albert pujols like those guys you know the end of their career is not usually as as great as say like a nelson cruz you can't really project that on anybody but just the fact that we think he'll still be playing in 15 years says a lot about how good the peak is going to be and suggests that we probably haven't seen that peak yet i mean it was year three miggy as a 22 year old hit 323 385 561 that was his best season to that point by far Makes sense given that his debut was less than a full season and he was 21 in 20, in 2004 when he had that first full season. So I, I could see it all clicking for Vlad. I think you're right to keep the faith. I was probably sitting right next to you when he hit that ball uh, nearly through the yeah, ball in, in the fall <laughs> league. I'm amazed the wall didn't just kind of tip over. And I, 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 the other thing about Vlad that's really fun, he's clearly changed some things with how he's taking care of himself. Like yeah, that's big. I'm, I'm buying into that transformation. Like, look what he was doing before that, and you look at this team around him. They're clearly a team on the rise. All signs are pointing to this really being that Vlad Jr. breakout. Yeah, and I'll just say too, like I was doing the, a panel with Scott Pianowski at First Pitch Florida over the weekend, and he's got a good way to, of putting things. And he, he said, you know, strikeouts and walks are like the water of baseball and fantasy baseball, and Vlad just. For a kid that age, 17% uh, strikeout rate. I mean, the walk rate has a little room for improvement, 8.7%. Uh, 
but just that kind of control of the strike zone and those stats, you know, stabilize the quickest and for, for that kind of, uh, that kind of skill at age you know, 19, 20, 21, that's something I want to bank on. Yeah. If you said you can have three metrics you can look at for a young power hitter to figure out how good he's going to be, I would probably ask for strikeout rate, walk rate and max exit velocity. And if you just showed me those numbers for his career, 17% K rate, 8.7% walk rate, and a max exit velocity that I believe led the league in 2019 and was second only to John Carlos Stanton in 2020, if, if my memory serves. He's among the league leaders if he's not second. That points to a guy who's going to unload with a ton of power. Yes, exactly. And what you said about him taking better care of himself. I am putting some stock into that as well. And I heard some of the Blue Jays staff saying that you know, he looks as strong as he did or the strongest he's, he's looked and felt since 2018 and that he's, his hands are even quicker and he's getting to inside pitches, which kind of ate him up last year. So it, it is a little bit of narrative that I, you know, you know how you, how it is when you have a guy on every team, you do a little Twitter search and you, <laughs> you uh, try to find every little thing about him. Uh, to maybe you know confirm your bias a little bit, and I admit that. But it's um, all the reports this spring are encouraging. I think the endowment effect is something that Renee Miller writes about a lot. Like as soon as you start to have <laughs> that player, you start to uh, kind of cling to that player too, and, and yeah. acquire more and more shares if possible. But I think if you're doing that with Vlad Jr., you're doing that with the right uh, type of player. I think there are some similarities in, in how you and I think about building teams. In, in your AL Labor team, you also went after Wander Franco. He was only 6 bucks in this auction. I thought that was a great price because he could have easily gone for 10 possibly even 12 depending on who else is in the room. And you got Jared Kelnick at 10 And part of the reason I like players like that, especially in deep leagues like AL Labor, is that if you expect them to get called up for even a half season, you're getting a ton of playing time for a discounted price. And you get a chance that that playing time significantly exceeds the typical players in that price range. So I guess with Wander, my first question for you is how quickly do you think the Rays are actually going to call him up? Oh, that's so hard to tell right now, but I thought, well, if they traded uh, Willie Adamas right now to the Reds, maybe um, <laughs> how much, how much would Wander Franco go for? What do you think? You tack on 10 bucks to that i i don't know maybe i do think they'll probably delay his service clock but i i think he looks pretty much ready and i felt him and kelnick were, were pretty much ready last year so uh, i also have some flashbacks to colton and the wolfman winning this league back to back in 2018 and 2019 and some low-cost prospects were were what propelled them frankly it was i think it was glaber torres in 2018 then Bo Bichette in 2019 and I'm convinced that getting these guys is the right move at a lower cost now 10 for Kelnick may not qualify as, as a low cost but man he's he's exciting and what the Mariners did Kevin Mather I, I do think their hand's going to be forced a little bit uh, assuming he gets back from this knee injury and, and gets on the field soon and, and Willie uh, not Willie Adamas but Wander Franco because that team is so crowded and everything, I think he's almost becoming a little underrated, uh, even as the guy who was the consensus top prospect. I know some people have bumped Kelnick ahead of him on some lists. Um, 
but it almost feels like now with the Andrew Vaughn catching a lot of hype and deservedly so and Kelnick, it's almost like Wander Franco's fading off into the background ever so slightly. So I thought this would be a pretty nice buying opportunity. And thankfully I got Hanser Alberto in the reserves to, to buy me some time. I actually don't, don't mind Hanser Alberto in an only league. So that'll, that'll, he'll be my middle infielder for, for the time until Wander's gets the call, but I, I don't think it'll be much longer. Um, you know, after that, whatever it is, April 15th or whatever day it is, April 21st, to, to get that extra year of control. I don't think it'll be much longer beyond that because the Rays, they want to win that division. And the Yankees, you know, it's, it's no sure thing. They're, they're going to be in that mix too. So I think the the Rays are going to want to keep their foot on the pedestal and bring up a guy like, like Wander Franco. Kind of relating players like this as a group to TGFBI, which has an overall component, right? You're not just playing against the 14 other teams in your league, you're playing against hundreds of teams in all of those leagues. You won that back in year one. How important is it to have an appropriate balance with the number of players you're waiting on in leagues like that? Because this principle applies in the NFBC, of course, too. If you're playing in the main event, you're playing in the Rotowire Online Championship, you know, the 12-team version of the main event, essentially. You can afford some players not playing early in the season, but where do you draw that line as someone who likes to take a chance on these types of players? Oh, man, that's that's a tough balance. Because the year I won it, 2018, it was all really thanks to two guys who I think most people thought would be down to start in Jack Flaherty and Walker Bueller. So upside is really important. You want to balance it. I think... You don't want to go too crazy with the stashes. Again, maybe two, but probably one. I uh, took Kelnick and Andrew Vaughn in this year's TGFBI, so I'm going to be stashing two guys. And with two guys occupying your bench, and say, you know, Kelnick has a setback with his knee and is out, you know, three months, then he's a drop, and it's, it's dangerous, certainly. But I think the upside is worth the wait, and – if you build in some added flexibility on your bench, you get a couple of multi-eligibility guys. Um, you can make it work, but it is going to be tough to, to play the waiting game, and you probably will be tested with some tough decisions as you wait. But I think one is good, maybe two, but two may be pushing it. I think a guy like Andrew Vaughn, though, there's a maybe a better than 50% chance I don't have to wait. What do you think about Vaughn this year, Derek? Yeah, I kind of put Vaughn in a different category because of how the White Sox have built that roster around him. I think there's obviously a chance he gets sent down for a little while and recalled a couple days into the season. But I think the delayed start to the AAA season actually throws a wrinkle in for a lot of teams. If you're the White Sox, you might as well play Andrew Vaughn from the jump. If he struggles in the first month, you can send him down to AAA when there are actual AAA games for him to play in put him down for two weeks, and basically get that time back, right? Thinking about it from the yeah. evil, twisted service time manipulation perspective. So you could either say Vaughn comes up and he hits and he helps your team and you make the playoffs, that's a win. Or you put Vaughn in, he's not ready, and you can option him down with cause for a couple of weeks and then bring him back in late May or June and possibly have him take that spot over at that point, right? And I think... If that's the path, if he comes up and struggles and goes down in May, that falls into the tough decision boat that you described where you got to have that discipline to possibly cut him in a lot of mixed leagues to get someone else who's playing more. But 
it's still a gamble we're taking at the price. So I'm I'm in on Vaughn, but I'm not looking at him in quite the same way as I'm looking at Wander and Kelnick, where I'm mm-hmm. you know, almost certain, barring some sort of de- like w- this won't happen with Kelnick, obviously, given the comments that Kevin Mather made and, and the relationship between player and organization right now. If Wander were to sign a deal before opening day with the Rays, that he could be on the opening day roster. That's that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. That's not a possibility at all with Kelnick, and even with Wander. That's a one in 100, like a 1% sort of thing, if that. Yeah, very unlikely. And apparently Kelnick did turn down his extension. He felt he was being punished for turning that down. Um, kind of a crap show out there in Seattle. But I, I almost think Kelnick will force their hand. And I'm with you on Vaughn. I mean, why not just turn this guy loose right away? You want to? You got all your eggs in the basket already if you're the White Sox. Um, so might might as well do it. I um, yeah, with with Vaughn, uh, I love the upside. I thought Eno Saris did a great job getting him. I'd already filled my first base corner and util, so I couldn't push him on Vaughn and AL Labor. And you know, we talk a lot about guys like uh, you know Chris Bryant, Ronald Acuna, the guys who had their service time manipulated. But you know who didn't? was Fernando Tatis Jr. And that's uh, it's worked out pretty well for that organization. Yeah, I mean, they're doing things in a way that looks a lot more like the right way. Yeah. They're sort of proving to fans of other teams, hey, you can bring your prospects up when they're ready, and you can keep players. I mean, if, you, if you're a fan of Cleveland right now, you're looking at the deal they just gave Tatis, and you're saying, we really couldn't work it out with Francisco Lindor? Like that... Mm. It, I don't know. I think it's good to have some teams blowing holes in the narratives that smaller market teams can't afford players. And I think a big part of what makes the the San Diego situation fascinating is they don't have a big local TV deal. I think they have a bottom five TV deal in terms of the actual revenue they're getting there. So a lot of teams would use that as an excuse. The Padres aren't. I think one of the members of their ownership group came out and said, "Our market size is actually big. You know, we we can yeah. we can we can spend more like a big team," which is. Great to hear that because that's uh, very much uh, against the the current, I think, of what we're hearing from most ownership groups uh, as a whole. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, looking at both your TGFBI team and your AL Labor team, I'm wondering if you're prioritizing job security versus skills differently as you target closers in your drafts and auctions. And maybe your balance has always been a certain way and you're still sticking to that. But it was Brad Hand, I think, was your first closer somewhat early, not crazy early in TGFBI. And Rafael Montero was your target in AL Labor. I think both of those guys, to me, they have the description of you know, second or third tier skills, but 
you know, A or at least B plus sort of job security, which really kind of pops in this player pool. Yeah, with hand specifically, I I'm not as worried about the skills as others. I know the velocity has been trending downward for a while now, but you know, with him, it's that nasty curveball. And the skills, I mean, the the results were stellar, but also the you know, fielding independent numbers were awesome for hand last year. So I do worry a little bit about the declining velo and, and uh, dominance a little bit with Brad Hand. But I think when, when a guy like that goes and signs with, with a new team, there are some assurances for a veteran who has a lot of closing experience. I think he's pretty, got a pretty good uh, leash. And, yeah, I am valuing that over – I mean, not over skills, I'd say, but in the if I'm drafting a closer in the 7 to 11 range – yeah, I, I am putting more stock into the role. And then when I take my specs, then I'll really emphasize skills more so. But I, I do like the uh, Trevor Rosenthal's, even though he's a little banged up. Uh, guys who I feel like have a pretty good runway, um, you know, to, to maybe have a few bumps in the road, but hold on to the job. Kirby Yates, I think, too. I have Yates pretty high. And, and meanwhile, like some of the guys like Nick Anderson, I, I've seen you draft him a few places and – Derek, I have the utmost respect for you, but I do worry about his job security. I mean, guys like uh, Karinchak too. I'm just I'm backing off him. I've lowered him in my rankings because because I am a little uncertain on that role. Same with Devin Williams. I just I need a guy if I'm drafting a closer in that seven to eleven range, which I usually am for my first. I need to feel really good about the role, and so I, uh, yeah, I'm, even though you know Karinchak may have number one closer upside. I just don't know if the gamble is really worth it just without knowing. Yeah, I feel like I have probably overrated Nick Anderson to this point in draft season, but he's been more of the the plan B sort of route with relievers for me, where mm-hmm. if I don't get someone I like with that clear job security, at least I know with Nick Anderson in deeper mixed leagues especially, I'm still going to keep him on my roster and in my lineup, even if he's not getting saves, because I think his skills compared to like, I'm not on I'm not on James James Karinchak at all right now. He, he's his control is a problem, and mm-hmm. we don't know if he has the job. I think with Anderson, the difference for me is I don't think he's going to walk the world. I think he can get you an elite of the elite sort of K rate, which should bring really good ratios. And if they're using him in the sixth, seventh, and eighth bit, and he's getting occasional saves. Let's just say he's a 10 or 12 save guy and he comes out with a low two ZRA and a whip maybe around one and you know, 14 Ks per nine. I can live with that where he's going. It, it's not great because he's not getting as many saves as I want, but I'm also not hurting my team at the price. I feel like his price is kind of reasonable for his base skills, but I'm definitely with you yeah. on the, the missing job security piece with him. I, I think that was something I was probably overestimating at various points this draft season. But at least you do know that you have a partial share of the, the ninth there. You know, you feel pretty good about that. And that's why I got Pete Fairbanks in labor, because I feel like it's a partial closer, at least. And um, you know how they're going to be. They had 12 different relievers earn a save during the regular season last year in the short season. And then and one of those was not Pete Fairbanks, who emerged as one of the, the top guys in the postseason for them. But I do. I will say, you know, you make a good point that at least with Anderson, you're getting, you know, good ratios and then at least a partial share of the saves. But yeah, I think it changes how you approach your next couple of relievers too. It makes you lean more heavily on job security guys and really take some skills risk on. And 
that can go haywire and suddenly you're chasing chasing saves in fab all season long. It's not a place oh, that you want to be. It's a total black hole because you know you, you end up getting outbid for some players. You have to overpay for guys that aren't very good. And then you miss out on other things you need on your roster. You're limited in what you can do throughout the season trying to upgrade other spots. So I, I do think it's worth, when possible at least, going after a high-end closer, stabilizing at least some saves. You don't have to win the category, but you want to be competitive in it. I think there's a related question here that I'm I'm dancing around. Do you do you have a different philosophy with the elite closers in auction versus a snake draft? Like when you look at Hader and Liam Hendricks and Aroldis Chapman in a snake, whether it's TGFBI or NFBC or any other kind of snake draft, versus just paying dollar for dollar for those guys, 18, 19, 20, whatever the final number ends up being in an auction. Are you more comfortable in one format versus the other in investing in those top end closers? You know, I would say probably in a mixer, I'm in mixed draft. I'm probably more willing to just say, all right, there's nobody here I love. So I'll just suck it up and, and take a closer in those auction rooms. It is something where, you know, with every additional plus one, I'm just kind of like, eh, I'm probably out. I remember I also had Zach Britton, when he was the Orioles closer and some of those builds with some of the, with one of the top closers in the past and this format didn't really work. So I don't know. It's just a huge part of your, your budget that you're allocating to a, to a closer. And, you know, there's only so many Mario Ron, Mariano Rivera's. I mean, these guys fizzle out really, really quickly. I mean, there's only one Mariano Rivera, but you know what I mean? Like there's, very few guys who stick around, Trevor Hoffman, who do it for 15 years, even a decade. Uh, a lot of these guys have a couple good years, and then and that's it. So I just think it's it's really hard to it's really hard to pick when the, uh, the cliff's going to come, and it's hard to navigate that. So I actually, and Todd Zola has shown with some of his research that going the cheap route with closers actually is the, the better way. And the, a lot of the league winners in the main event with that route uh, with not spending up top on closers. Um, but I think in a mixed league, I am, I am okay to suck it up and get one because at, at a certain point, the, the margins between players start to thin out. And I feel like the category then gets emphasized. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great way of, of thinking about, how you're going to attack it. And if, if the research points to late closers being a, a viable solution, I think it's important to spend a lot of time looking at those closers that you don't necessarily like at first glance, having it kind of figured out in your mind, who do I actually want if I'm going down this path? Because uh, you know, if Richard Rodriguez keeps falling and the Pirates can't trade him and he closes all year and they win... 65 games and 30 of them are save opportunities. He might get all 30 saves for that team. Like that's that's possible. Mm-hmm. And if he gets 30 saves at his price, that's a a league winning type of player because of that categorical contribution, which is amazing to say because you don't think of Richard Rodriguez as someone who's going to be critically important to fantasy players this season, but he absolutely could be. I, I like him too. And yeah, it's those types, you know, the Shane Greens of the world. Um, the guys who nobody really seems to want, but you can get them and they have the role. And when it's all said and done, they, they move the needle quite a bit. Um, it is tempting. And I usually hate to leave the draft table without one 
pretty well locked in closer, but um, if you have faith in yourself that you're, you're going to be able to find some saves and some of your specs are going to pan out, um, you know, and, and you would allocate that draft capital that you would spend on an early closer to a, a big bopper or a, an awesome starter who pans out. I mean, that could um, yeah give you a huge edge on the field. Tying it together a little bit, I think part of my willingness to take an elite closer in a snake draft is that we have this group of former first rounders that fall at least to the back of the top 100 overall. Sometimes they fall as low as like pick 140, 150. And I've seen these guys on a few of your rosters. Are you likely to end up with some combination of, of J.D. Martinez and Jose Altuve and Chris Bryant in multiple teams this season because it seems like there's a lot of value on the former stars it seems like they've almost fallen more than they should uh, this draft season yeah absolutely i i think i have all of these all those guys you mentioned on multiple teams already uh jd i got in a labor i was i did a jump bid and got crickets after that <laughs> so that never feels great but at the same time you know, Giancarlo Stanton went for $4 more than JD later. So I felt better about it as the uh, draft progressed. But I do think it's something where, look, it was 60-game season. Let's not, let's not overthink this. JD Martinez was like one of the best sluggers in the game for close to a decade. I mean, seven, seven eight years. And I think he's still got – quite a bit left in the tank. I'm not really worried about him. I know the in-game video he's talked about a lot and maybe that's kind of overblown, but I, I just think it was a bad, bad two months and maybe he wasn't quite ready after the, the shutdown. Maybe he didn't quite get his body where it needed to be. So I'm not really worried at all about JD Altuve. I worry about his running a little bit, but his sprint speed was actually pretty darn good last year. And he turned it on in the postseason. I mean, the difference between his regular season and the postseason was so stark. And uh, the guy can hit. I mean, the guy was an all-world, all-fame caliber hitter. And I don't, I'm not going on a limb by saying it, it wasn't just uh, because they were banging on trash cans. No, no, it wasn't wasn't just that. Uh, he was – no, he's a really good hitter. And so, you know, second base is kind of a tricky spot to figure out and just gets to a point, yeah, around, you know, 80 to 100, where it's like, yeah, two is a great fit on my roster. I'm usually needing a little bit of speed. And again, we don't know exactly how much he'll run. But I think he's further removed from those knee injuries from recent years. And I think he kind of wants to run. Seems like he's motivated to bounce back. And again, that postseason was stellar. So I think it's, you know, you've been on the track record with, with this guy who was so good for so long. Uh, I think he was so good for so long that it's, you know, pretty much even as an aging second baseman, aging second baseman don't always do particularly well, but uh, there's every reason to think he's going to continue to hit. Yeah, I agree with you uh, across the board on, on that group. The other thing that makes this group of players, J.D., Altuve, Bryant, and there's a few others, Anthony Rizzo maybe fits into this, this bucket too. Sure. Something that makes them really appealing to me is that there's zero question about their playing time. And once you get to that range yeah. of the draft, the other players, the the younger players who are kind of getting to that range for the first time, they could lose their job or they could at least lose a share of their job because they're not nearly as established in their respective team's plans. But if you said project a 
percentage of playing time for for all three of those guys. For me, it's like 95% plus. And that's extremely valuable to get that at that deflated price. Yeah, and Chris Bryant, I'm not quite as confident in, but I, yeah, I mean, that where he's going, it's, you, you take the shot. I did have a decision on him versus Cabrian Hayes, and I think that is pretty close. I took Bryant and then got Hayes on the way back, uh, so I was pretty happy about how it worked out. But, you know, I think that's about where Bryant falls now, uh, which is still, you know, a really good player. But I do have some lingering questions about Bryant that, you know, are more prevalent than my uh, questions with J.D. and Altuve. I, I know you're kind of in on Bryant. He can't be this bad, right? I mean, There's a really good floor there. He's a better player. Than that. He's an MVP, former MVP. I mean, maybe he needs a change of scenery. Either way, I, I think Chris Bryant's a really good baseball player. And, um yeah, the playing time is a huge thing because even when you get to that range, even the Austin Meadows types, they have some some playing time questions. And uh, that's when you start getting into the platoon range. And these guys don't really belong there. Right. And those guys are all in situations that are less crowded, too. So there's not even like even Toronto. If You, you could love Teoscar Hernandez, but you can't look at that depth chart and say, oh, it's, it's perfect. 95 plus percent of the playing time guaranteed. You, you just can't because they have so many guys they can put on the field. Uh, at this point, maybe injuries will change that at some point during the season or even prior to the season. But playing time is a big part of why I like some of those discounted older players as well. Uh, different type of question. Who's your favorite pitching target currently outside the top 200 overall in ADP that you think we could see maybe inside the top 100 this time next year? And I think it's the, the reason I'm asking this is it feels like people are pushing pitching even more than usual coming off the shortened season. I don't necessarily agree with that philosophy. So I think it's important to have a lot of pitchers that you're going after in that fringe top 200 range because I think that could be a spot where we do get a good bit of value this year. Yeah, that's such an important range for starters. I, uh, you know, TJ Antone is kind of my new infatuation and people are probably you know rolling their eyes because everybody's talking about TJ Antone right now. But I think it's with good reason. He's nasty, and I, I do get the sense that maybe he ends up in the bullpen to start. Uh, and that's going to be frustrating, but uh, TJ Anto's skills are off the charts. He added velocity, I think, almost like 10 miles per hour since 2019. Elite spin rate, and, man, you watch him, and he's just utterly dominant. I saw him against the... The Dodgers just carving up Gavin Lux, Justin Turner. And it's a lot of, yes, I am a Reds fan. But I think with uh, TJ Antone, it's it's not the, the homer bias. I, I uh, feel confident saying that. He's a very good pitcher. Even if he doesn't really have the pedigree, he's, he's just a fundamentally different pitcher than he was because of his added velocity which he said, and, and he's talked about a lot about weighted ball training. Um, that, that's helped. Doesn't always help some pitchers. And I know he, he said that some of the guys that he used to do that with were convinced that it led to Tommy John and actually hated it. But he liked the weighted ball training, and it's paid huge dividends for, for TJ Anton. So I like him. I actually have moved him inside my top 200. You don't have to spend anywhere near that price. You say Kikuchi, Derek, I've said is like the most obvious sleeper of all time. Uh, because we always look at those, you know, we look at the same 
stuff and all the underlying indicators really favorable with Yusei Kikuchi. So they may go with a six-man rotation, limited two-start weeks, but I, I think Yusei Kikuchi's great target. And then Trevor Rogers too. Uh, our, our buddy Craig Mish was getting me hype on Trevor Rogers the other day. I know he had a little bit of a hiccup yesterday, but uh, he was saying that Trevor Rogers could be as good as any starter on this team, which seems like a long shot. But I do think he has a rotation spot as the only lefty in that mix. And so I like him uh, quite a bit. Uh, th- there's so many interesting flyers on that side of things. Aaron Savali, I think maybe he's inside the top 200, but he's kind of in that range too. I, I like him a lot. Brady Singer, Eliezer Hernandez. Yeah, I mean, there's a good group of pitchers there to target. And I, I think you obviously can't wait eight, nine, ten rounds before starting to address pitching. You're going to get some pitching early, even if you're not going as aggressive as the field, but where you're going to win with a strategy where you're less aggressive with the field early is hitting up and down in the range that you're talking about. Uh, Trevor Rogers, if he... I wonder if he's just getting discounted because he's a Marlin. Is there just a, a lack of hype because he's, <laughs> he's a lefty throwing 97? If the Dodgers yeah. had a lefty throwing 97... I feel like we'd be talking about that player a lot more than we talk about Trevor Rogers. I'm with you. And I, I think maybe it's because the stats in his first cup of coffee weren't so great, but I think there's a lot to get excited about here with Rogers. So, you know, that team's done a really good job too, developing guys. I think they'd, uh, they'd probably like to have Zach Gallon back, but even with him gone, that, that core of starters is really good and credit to them for, for developing the, the way they have, because that's a underrated like organizational skill, in my opinion. Yeah, I would say Pablo Lopez exceeded expectations at this point. Yeah. By the way, I saw Eno tweeting about Eliezer Hernandez. Is like, what the hell is that pitch that Hernandez <laughs> uh, throws? Kind of a screwball I mean, thing. Like, it's, yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's weird. Eno was saying it was like he's the only guy who throws that thing, but I mean the slider with Hernandez, and so yeah. I'll, Really, all of those Marlin starters, I think, are, are pretty nice uh, values at their average draft position right now. Yeah, one last question for you before we go. Uh, I'm on the Reds this year, at least their bats, as, as being pretty consistently underrated. Uh, I see Suarez, Castellanos, Moose, Winker, and Senzel all going at least a round or two later than they probably should in terms of their ADPs. So I'm going to have a lot of Reds this year. Is there anything I'm missing with those bats, anything I should be wary of as I think about taking advantage of their deflated prices? You know, I have a little hesitance because reluctance, I guess you'd call it just because of how bad they were last year. And it was like a, it's like a contagious disease. You know, it's like, uh, we, we know slumps can be contagious, but it was just on a whole new level last year. I wonder if their hitting coach, Alan Zinter, I wonder if he go, but I mean, I, I'm pulling for them to get it together. It was like they couldn't get hot at the same time. It was, it was Castellanos initially, then Winker got hot for like two weeks stretch. And then Eugenio Suarez got hot. So I am hoping that maybe if they could just, you know, with a more uniform season, things a little bit more normal, things will be okay. I don't have any reason to think, you know, a guy like Senzel is, is uh, toast. I think he's actually a really good target right now. 
Uh, Winker, I do have some lingering questions about. Just where's he going to hit? Is the power real? I think it's pretty real, but he just hasn't really done it over a sustained period. Uh, again, he had like a couple hot, hot weeks last year. And in fact, he was like the hottest hitter in baseball for a little bit last year. And so the, you see that and you, you see the upside, but it has been a problem uh, sustaining the production over a prolonged period for Winker. So I look at him and I'm a little worried. Moose, I think, is a decent target, although he was a little out of shape last year and, and kind of struggled. Um, You'd think in that park they're going to do a lot of damage, but last year they were one of the worst offenses in baseball. So I do think maybe there's something on the, the coaching side or just something that's that's not right. Maybe, maybe David Bell. I like David Bell as, as a man, but I'm not sold on him as a manager. I do wonder if the coaching staff uh, is lacking a little bit, honestly. And so that is one thing I do worry about. But in the in that park, they should be okay. It'd be disappointing if something's missing on the hitting side because it seems like they've figured some things out on the pitching side that give mm-hmm. them a lot of extra lift with some of the players on that roster. Uh, Clay, before we let you go, let our listeners know where they can hear you, where they can read your work, and where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, rotowire.com. You can get a free trial at rotowire.com slash pod. Um, at Clay W. Link on Twitter, and you can hear us on the Prospect Pod. James carries us, does a great job. And uh, he, we also are on Farm Friday on SiriusXM, and then Saturdays on SiriusXM Fantasy and on MLB Network Radio on Saturdays. So check us out if, if you can. And thanks so much, Derek. You're, you're the man, and I can't wait to catch up with you in person sometime soon. Uh, likewise, Clay. Looking forward to uh, you know, getting a chance to spend some time in person, hopefully at some point in the next couple of months. It looks like things are finally trending in that direction again. Really appreciate the time today and highly recommend people check out Rotowire and check out Clay's work, especially. Uh, tons of good stuff, tons of great tools at Rotowire, very reasonably priced as well. And the Rotowire magazine's out too. If you like printed stuff, rotowire.com slash magazine, you can place an order for that as well. A ton of work goes into that. It's a great resource to have at your fingertips. Uh, if you'd like to sign up for The Athletic, you can do that at theathletic.com slash podcast. $3.99 a month to start. That'll get you in the door, get you the draft kit, everything else we do, team coverage, a lot of great content, of course, that we're pumping out. And if you'd like to fill out our listener survey, I will drop a link to that in the show notes. I really appreciate everybody who's taking the time to do that. So for Clay Link, I'm Derek Van Riper. We are back on Tuesday. Uh-huh.